Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome to another edition of the OUinsider.com podcast. I'm RJ Young, but I am turning over the controls to Colin Kennedy as he sets us up to go through an NFL mock draft. Uh, He loves this stuff, and I tolerate it, but with Colin driving, I feel comfortable. So, Colin, hey, man, uh, what are we doing here? Yeah, so obviously every single year behind closed doors, I like to put together NFL mock drafts just for the fun of it. But I figured since what we're dealing with in the world of sports is essentially creative standstill, maybe there's actually some sort of value for this information on my end. So essentially what I've done is I've put together a first round mock draft. We're not going farther than the first 32 picks. I'm not putting together any trades. I just went through the order as it's currently set. I obviously believe very firmly that there's going to be complete chaos come Thursday night, but to try and project all that is just a hassle, and I feel like it's in the best interest of everyone participating in this that we just go through the first round as it stands today. If everyone listening or watching wants to pull up the mock draft while we go along, you can go check it out on OUinsider.com, or I'm sure the Twitter link will be on at OU247 on my personal Twitter account, at CKennedy247, maybe even on RJ's. The list goes on and on. So we can surf through this together. We'll go one by one. I'll try and save a little bit more time on maybe some of the easier or less interesting selections so RJ and I can kind of dive into maybe the more intriguing storyline of what may take place come Thursday. So I am excited to get into this. And RJ, if you want to put me on the clock, we can begin. Yeah, man, uh, I expect this one to go off better than the NFL's uh, virtual mock mock draft on Monday, yeah. where there was a glitch with the first pick being Joe Burrow. But what do you got? Yeah, so we are starting with the Cincinnati Bengals, and this one's easy. I mean, don't overthink it. Joe Burrow is the best quarterback available in this draft, and obviously the Cincinnati Bengals need a quarterback pretty darn bad. He's just too good to pass up. I mean, he arguably put together one of the best passing seasons we've ever seen in the history of college football. And for him to go on and win the national championship, Heisman Trophy, so on and so forth, he has the production and accolades to back up this top overall selection. But you can kind of stray away from Joe Burrow, the player, and I kind of want to talk with you about the Cincinnati Bengals Everyone's want to make them out to be this sorry franchise. And look, I, I get it. I mean, the playoffs have not been kind to the Bengals, and recent success has not come very often. But at the same time, I mean, I look at this roster, RJ, and I see a group that has some pretty good talent skill position-wise. I mean, A.J. Green's coming back from injury next year. Tyler Boyd's pretty productive. I mean, John Ross maybe continues to develop, and – OU running back Joe Mixon has become one of the most productive running backs in the league now. And when you think about all of this combined talent to go with Burrow, that's an offense that could be pretty formidable. It's just the offensive line is terrible. That said, they get Jonah Williams back probably next season after he missed all of last year, his rookie year with the torn labrum that underwent surgery. I know they picked up Billy Price from Ohio State. He just hasn't been a good pro bottom line here is the Bengals have put in some effort to provide some pieces for their future franchise quarterback. And Joe Burrow, I think he steps into a position that may be a little bit better than what we're making it out to be. No, man, I hate the pick. I mean, I, 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 I agree with you that that's what Cincinnati's probably going to do because everybody else is saying the same thing. And Cincinnati has not uh, put out any feelers as to wanting to trade away from the spot, according to all the NFL reporters that I trust. But I think this is I, – I, I'm not going to draft a quarterback before I have an offensive line. And if I have an offensive line, I don't really need the best quarterback available. I just need a quarterback. And after watching Andy Dalton throw darts in his backyard into a foot-by-foot hole from about 15 yards deep 
going, oh, okay, so it really ain't Andy Dalton's fault. It's just them. Plus, Zach Taylor's going into year two. You mentioned A.J. Green coming off an injury. I, I don't feel good about anybody coming off an injury, and I feel like I'd be remiss if, if we're on an OU podcast and we don't say Rodney Anderson is also coming back from injury and looking to be Joe Mixon's spellback. But, I mean, I don't know who else you would pick here except Tristan Wirfs or Jedrick, uh, Jedrick Willis or insert best player in college football last year here, Chase Young. I just, I don't put as much value on a quarterback as others because I think that Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes are, you know, they're, they're exceptions. They are not the rule. The rule is Marks Mariota. You know, the, the rule is Chad Pennington. The rule is uh, Eli Manning, who, by the way, nobody has on their all NFL team. He's got two Super Bowl rings. You know what I mean? And he had offensive lines that were awesome. He had serviceable wide receivers, and he had a legitimately awesome defense. And that's where I would start. You know, I would start with my offensive line and my defense, but I can't I can't disagree with you that this is the pick that's going to happen. Exactly. And it, in all fairness, I do agree with you. I think if you're talking about best pure player in this draft class, I far and away believe it's Chase Young. And that takes me to the number two selection with the Washington Redskins. I love this storyline. It's something that no one's really talking about. Obviously, Joe Burrow being an Ohio kid going to Cincinnati is really fun. But, I mean, Chase Young played high school ball 22 minutes away from FedEx Field. And now he gets a chance to join the hometown team and be maybe one of its most productive players. I mean, we're talking about a guy. I read an article the other day that an NFL scout of about 28 years said that Chase Young is the best defensive end talent he's ever evaluated and may be one of the best all-time defenders he's he's ever seen come from the collegiate rank. And I'm inclined to believe him because these guys know what they're doing. And, I mean, Young is a guy who has absolutely dominated the collegiate scene for basically three seasons, 16 and a half sacks, six forced fumbles last year, the 12 starts. Obviously, he could have had more, but... I mean, the dude is just a freak of nature. And if he joins the Redskins, we're talking about him potentially being on a roster that could help him create some opportunities. I mean, that front seven for Washington is pretty darn good as it is. They're moving to the 4-3 with Ron Rivera coming in. They've got Ryan Kerrigan, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Jerron Payne, notable names from the collegiate ranks that have transitioned well into the NFL. So Young gets a chance to step in there on a pretty solid defensive line and produce at a high level for his hometown squad. I'm really excited to see Chase Young play in the NFL. I love his game, and I think it's a perfect fit for the Redskins here, too. I know there are rumors about them maybe trading the pick, but I just don't see it happening come draft night. Best player available. Um, I disagree with the scout of 28 years because Reggie White played football. (laughs) You know, Mm. um, uh, Michael Strahan played football. Now, we could talk about evaluating in college versus what they turn out to be in the NFL, and I, and I get that. But, I mean, these are the same guys that told us that Mike Mamula was going to be a player. You know, and I just, <laughs> I, I, it's a crapshoot. It, it gets back into my, my conceit about the NFL draft. You're going to hit as often as you don't, which is another way of saying a nutless monkey could do your job, okay? Like, if we're throwing, throwing darts at the board and you're going to pick between the best player available— and what, the next best player available, which maybe is, depending on how you want to dice this up, cornerback and Jeff Akuda, or perhaps even Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, I just, eh. But I'm, I'm with you in that the storyline of him going back home also fits with Dwayne Haskins. Both guys also played at Ohio State. And you could see how Washington feels like it's been a who's who of college players going all the way back to Trent Williams who wants to be traded. But it's been that way for a reason, and it ain't because the head coaches have been particularly bad. It's also Bruce Allen, and by the way, Daniel Snyder. So I I don't know if one player is good enough to get you back into contention to even make the playoffs, but if there is one, it would have to be Chase Young. Agreed 100%. And Ron Rivera coming in, he's inheriting this defense. If there's anything he prioritizes more than disruption, you're going to have to convince me of it. And no one epitomizes disruption more than Chase Young. So you mentioned the player that's next up for me at number three of the Detroit Lions making this selection. Again, we're not projecting any trades because it's a mess, but I know that this pick is also up for grabs. 
I just think either way, if the Detroit Lions want to fill the gap left by Darius Slay, Jeff Kuda's the pick. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people at the beginning of this draft process, RJ, said that not only was Jeff Kuda the clear-cut number one cornerback available, but he might have been, in their eyes, the best defensive player in the draft. Then we get this close to draft night, and suddenly people are saying he may not be a top two, three, four corner in the class. I don't buy that one bit. I've just seen Akuda play. I know of his reputation from South Grand Prairie. The dude is a next-level athlete and baller. He turns it on when the lights turn on, and I just think he's the kind of cornerback that can really solidify one side of the field. I mean, we're talking about a dude that's six foot one with great long arms. I believe he's around 200 pounds. Maybe he provides some versatility, and you can find him as a safety spot as well. I just think Detroit losing Darius Slay, all the rumors swirling in that locker room, and maybe the angst that's felt toward Matt Patricia. You got to bring in a new face on that defense and someone that can help right away. And to me, that is a Cuda here at number three. No, big. <laughs> I, I look. Uh, I say best player available, and I'm teasing Jeff Akuda. He's one of the three best defensive backs in the country because he was a Paycom Jim Thorpe Award finalist, right? But that also puts Jerry R. Reed on that list. And the winner, Grant Delpit, right? And we have lots of Ohio State, stand, Ohio State stands that want to tell us that Jeff Akuda was the best player. I'm going, okay, show me how many picks, all right? Show me how many pass deflections. Show me why people were throwing away from him. Because the, the thing that Jeff Akuda has going for him, I believe, is, is not his athleticism, which is elite, which is not his speed, which is elite, not his intellect, which is elite. What he has going for him is he comes out of Ohio State, right? Marshawn Lattimore, mm-hmm. Denzel Ward. I mean, we can keep going here, and we could be here for a while. Eli Apple. That's what I think you're drafting. You're drafting pedigree. You're drafting great coaching. And you're drafting a need, right? But we could also make the argument that why would – Detroit want to draft a corner. They didn't know what to do with Darius Slay in the first place. <laughs> and he, would, he was one of the best corners in, in the NFL last year. And yet, and still, yeah. we're, we're going, okay, now you want to replace that guy with a lesser contract. Cool. I, I get it. It's a, it's a need you're going to pick. But I, trade out of it if you can. If you can't, I'm going to try to sure up my offensive line and my defensive line before I go and get perhaps a true corner. Now, if I got a guy that can play three positions— I got a slot corner. Yeah. Do you think Jeff Kuda is a slot corner, though, Colin? No, I've got him as a perimeter guy for sure. Yeah, boundary or field, though? I would put him as the field guy, considering the fact that he could potentially lock down an entire side of the field. And with his length, you would probably feel a little bit better with him being out there on an island. Right. Well, he's going to make me look stupid if he's able to do that, because I I think he's a boundary guy. I think he needs the sideline to help him. And I don't. I don't agree that Jeff Okuda is going to put shackles on Julio Jones, is going to put shackles on Mike Evans, is going to put shackles on even um, Robbie Anderson. I, I think that if you can stretch the field on him, he can't close. And I think that's what you're going to be dealing with. But, I, hey, look, I'm here for being proven wrong. And, again, we all know my conceit about the draft. And I need to be clear. I'm not dunking on Colin, who I think is going to be right. I'm dunking on this draft process. Anyway, go, go ahead, Colin. No. Yeah, no, I agree. I think maybe one of the reasons why I also say the field is because he has not only the length, and maybe I feel a little bit better about a six-foot-one corner going up and contesting the ball when he has all that space to adjust. But I, I, you typically perceive your boundary corner as maybe your primary shutdown guy because that's typically where the ball's going. I think Akuda, while he is the the draft's best cornerback, maybe he takes a little bit of time to develop, and I think safety help on the field side may help him do that. I'd also so, let me let me add in there. He's also the only corner, like true corner, that made the finals list. The other two are safeties. Exactly, and, and I appreciate the fact that you brought up some of that Jim Thorpe analysis on your end, and I, I was really intrigued for that from you. Now, you also brought up something that really helps me justify this next pick, and it's something we have to talk about. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you draft Jeff Dakuda not because he may be a 6-1 corner or he has elite athleticism, but you're betting on the coaching. You're right. betting on the big name of Ohio State. Right. That, for me, is why you go here at number four with the New York Giants and Jedrick Wills 
is the first offensive tackle taken in a loaded tackle class. Look, if there were more time for pre-draft evaluation, I firmly believe that Tristan Wirfs would be the guy here because there are very few players, in my opinion, that have the feet of Wirfs. And I'll get into that later. But right now, when you're Joe Judge and you're stepping into a situation that you cannot mess up in the face of New York media, you've got to bet on your relationships here, especially when you have not had that time to put in before your first selection as a head coach. Joe Judge obviously has a strong relationship with a one Nick Saban. And if you're going to bank on your relationships because of the coronavirus shutdown, if you get on the phone call with Nick, I promise you he's going to give rave reviews about this guy. Now, the big thing with Jedrick is he's Does, that, Doesn't he want to get his guy drafted? I'm just going to throw that out there. You want yeah, to, okay. All right. Yeah, he, okay. He, okay. he wants to get his guy drafted, okay. but I also feel like we know Saban's a bit of an honest individual. And he's going to not only want his guy to be drafted, but he's going to want his coaching tree, if you will, to succeed. And so given the stance that the stakes are so high for Judge, I think there's going to be maybe a little bit more honesty on Saban's side, if that makes sense. And that's where I also want to feed into maybe your challenge side. I think the knock on Jedrick is that he's primary played right tackle for basically his entire collegiate and most of his high school career. But I also feel like right tackles are very, very important these days. And we're talking about a player that allowed, get this, one sack in 970 pass pro reps. I'm going to say that again because that is absolutely bonkers. In nearly 1,000 pass protection situations, he allowed one sack. That, that blows my mind, especially when you're talking about the quote-unquote bonded SEC defenses that he faced week in and week out. I mean, if you want a guy to keep Daniel Jones upright, I think that Jedrick Wills is the go-to pick here, especially because of the factor that you're mentioning, the big name, the coaching, and the production at the highest level. I would take Tristan Wirfs here, but I'll settle for Jedrick <laughs> I Wills. I expected that. I, I will settle for Jedrick Wills for the, for the reasons that you brought up. Uh, pedigree and a tremendous track record last season against uh, pass rushers that are some of the best that you would see in college football, particularly uh, Caleb on Chasen at LSU, uh, Big Cat Bryant at Auburn, not to mention Derek Brown was in the middle crushing inside, so you had to be able to go one-on-one with pass rushers. Faced, uh, I don't think they played out, they didn't play Georgia last year. Um, trying to think who else they played that was really good. I don't know if you throw Michigan in there or not. But, yeah, uh, I, I think he's the second-best tackle in the, in the draft. I would take Wirfs. I'll settle for Willis for the reasons you brought up. Joe Judge also served with Nick Saban, as I recall. Right? Was it analyst, special teams so. coach? Okay. All right. I think, uh, yeah, that, that relationship is, is airtight. So it makes a lot of sense for the reasons you brought up. What do you got at five? Or four? At five? Five. This is five. where the— Sorry. Yes. You're right. Uh, This is where the draft kind of unfolds, if you will. I think this is the pick that really determines the course of this draft. And the Miami Dolphins have been linked to Tua for a long time. I just think that when you have been tanking and waiting for this moment for basically a full year, you can't mess it up. And for that reason, while I personally would pick Tua, I believe that the Miami Dolphins will be selecting Justin Herbert out of Oregon. He has all the tools, six foot six, big arm. He's a sneaky good athlete. He may be a better athlete when both are healthy than Tua. But at the same time, I still think there are some raw natures of his game that really need developing. That said, I don't think the Dolphins are rushing to immediate success anytime soon. So grooming a guy with the natural tools you look for an NFL starter may be intriguing. And attractive. So for that reason, I think that while Tua may be the better player, in my opinion, I think it's Herbert that gets the nod from my hand. Give me Tristan Wirfs. Mm. Give me Tristan Wirfs. Give me someone who is going to help fortify this offensive line. You mentioned that they may not be in a hurry. I'd want to get better at my trenches, and then I'd want to be better at my skill positions, and then I'll start shopping for a quarterback. And oh, by the way, Josh Rosen's still there. You know, and, and despite what people think about his time at Arizona and the limited opportunity he got at Miami, I, 
I, I think if you are just willing to wait and do the Aaron Rodgers with this kiddo, he's going to be good. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to be good. He's going to be good enough to take advantage of all the other pieces you put around him. And why are you going to draft a quarterback if your offensive line isn't any good anyway? You're just going to get the man destroyed. And what's what? I mean, they're racehorses. You, you let a quarterback get a hit, and all of a sudden they had happy feet, and you're talking about Shane Falco back there. You know, I, I, I don't get the thing about wanting to draft a quarterback in the first round. They suck at it. 50% hit rate historically, you know? Go get the offensive lineman that you know is a sure thing. Be Joe Judge, you know? Uh, but, hey, look, you're right. They've been linked to a, they've been linked to a quarterback. The front office tried to tank. I, ugh. I, I don't, I'm not taking a quarterback in this, in the first 10 picks. So I'm probably going to take a dump on every single quarterback that is taken in the first round. Hey, I don't blame you. Okay. And to be quite honest, I think if you're the Dolphins, you also kind of have to ask yourself, okay, if we're going to do this tanking thing and we want to do it right, do we take Herbert here? Do we take Tua here? Or do we kind of take the route that you're mentioning, draft an offensive lineman and prepare to maybe do this thing again and aim for Trevor Lawrence. I, it's it's fascinating to me. The Dolphins have three first-rounders. I expect them to move, but it's something that they will have to contemplate once Thursday night rolls around. So we go through number five. We go to number six. This is probably a position where you think, okay, the Chargers, whoever the Dolphins don't pick, that's where Los Angeles goes. And – I, for that reason, have Tua being the selection. Now, I'm going to say this. While I believe that Tua would be a great pick here, I also firmly believe that, number one, the Chargers really like Herbert, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them try and flip-flop with the Dolphins, and maybe the Dolphins try and get some more draft capital. Or, number two, and this is where it may be a little bit tougher for me to defend, I'm not so sure that the Chargers should draft a quarterback right here because – you look at that roster, they're kind of built to win. I mean, we're talking about a defense that features a Bosa, an Ingram, a Hayward, a Derwin James. There's talent all over this <coughs> roster, and maybe there are other opportunities to fill some spots of need, and then maybe you just see where Tyrod Taylor takes you. I don't know. I just think it's fascinating from the Chargers' perspective. I'm not entirely sold that quarterback is the pick, but in this position, I think come draft night, it's too much for them to ignore. I think taking Tua as the potential future is the move that they end up making. I don't believe in Tua's ability to stay healthy. Um, yeah. I, I also remember that Easton Stick is still on that roster, and it's, it speaks to me that they didn't just kind of want to cast him out the way that they casted Cardell Jones out, who was uh, a little bit more than serviceable at the XFL level and won a national championship. Uh, you also still have Jameis Winston out there floating. You have Cam Newton out there floating. And, it, you know, Terod Taylor, I think, is, uh, is a steady hand that Anthony Lynn trusts. If you think that you're a quarterback away, by all means, go get a quarterback. If you think of Tua as a project or somebody you're still evaluating that you can't throw in right away, I, I, I wouldn't draft him. That said, their needs are such that They've done a really good job, right? Like, I get everybody wants to give them a quarterback. I give them a wide receiver. Um, I'd also give them a, another safety, somebody to to actually help them lock up center field the way that Derwin James can just take away everything else. Uh, perhaps you want to look at. I, I would. I hesitate to say Xavier McKinney because I, I like him so much, and I don't want to see anybody get there except Dallas. Maybe Grant Delpit. I I guess I'm thinking about this a little bit differently, but going what what everybody else has been saying, they want a quarterback, they're gonna take a quarterback, and if two is still on the board, that's the best available quarterback because you know you already have Justin Herbert going to Miami. And and by the way, do we believe in Jordan Love? I, I guess we're gonna answer that question. Uh, we will certainly address the Jordan Love situation, I think, later. But I, I was also going to say, to your point, I would not be surprised if the Chargers draft a player of different position here and then try and swap towards the back end of the first or maybe the beginning of the second and get Jordan Love as that maybe heir apparent for Tyrod. But it's, it's all dominoes that need to fall once draft night arrives. 
And then we go to number seven, where I think this is maybe one of the more surefire picks of Thursday night. The Matt Rule era coming up in Carolina. I am so excited for it. I'm pulling for him and Joe Brady. But the thing is, he's inheriting another serious turnaround. Well, the offense has pieces. That defense is terrible. I mean, they're bad, and you can make the argument that they got even worse this offseason. And so for that reason, getting a guy who can play all over the field and Isaiah Simmons is so intriguing and needs to happen. I I think Isaiah Simmons may be one of, if not my personally favorite player in the draft class. Every time I watch this guy, he is just must-see TV no matter what he's doing or what he's asked to do. And I think when you think of the Panthers, run defense was terrible. The, the defensive backs are not ready to go. This guy in Simmons, while he may not be able to help on the perimeter too much, I firmly believe that we're talking about a guy who at six foot four, two hundred and forty pounds, running a four three nine forty yard dash, can either A take away your running back in the run game, B match up with your tight end in the passing game, or C spy slash pass rush your mobile quarterback. Taking away a weapon like that from an offense in today's game is so crucial. And for that reason, I think Carolina has to go after Simmons. I don't think you're going to see the best version of him until Carolina drastically improves defensively. But until that time, Simmons is the ideal cornerstone to build on. Draft Luke Keekley's replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if Isaiah Simmons uh, can play in the middle for you, I mean, Buck is a word winner, uh, even as I think it's a, he's a positionless player for the reasons you brought up. But, I mean, I'd make him my mic. I'd make him my will. If I think I have a mic, I want him in the second level because I want him to be able to take away the slot and the tight end, uh, and I don't necessarily want to use that player at the safety position because I can get a safety to do that. I only have one Isaiah Simmons. I can't disagree with the pick. All right, that takes me to a pick I'm sure you'll be agreeing with as we get to the number eight Arizona Cardinals, and if this board plays out the way that it does, Cliff Kingsbury should be smiling from here to here because he gets his pick of either one of the best offensive tackles in the draft class or a premier defensive talent because of the way that the quarterbacks have been taken so early. There's a lot of raw, natural, position-filling talent that they can pick from. But for this reason, I have to go with the guy that most fits that offense on the front. I'm going with Tristan Wirfs. I think, as I mentioned earlier, Wirfs is one of the few offensive tackles in this draft class that has the natural athleticism and feet to play on an island at the left tackle spot. He is one of the few freshmen to ever start at Iowa, which is an offensive line factory, and there's a reason for it. He's so good in one-on-one situations. The thing is, the knock on him is maybe he has a little bit of trouble with some balance. He can overset, and sometimes he ends up on the ground. But at the same time, when you're talking about a player who can man your tackle spot either side, and you're comfortable with him evolving into a one-on-one guy that can consistently win with some of the NFL best, you cannot pass up on him, especially if you are Cliff Kingsbury and you, number one, want to protect your rookie of the year quarterback. Number two, you want to open up the passing game featuring Larry Fitzgerald and DeAndre Newcockins. And number three, you're looking for linemen that can keep up in your no-huddle air raid offense. Worse is the ideal candidate. Draft Derek Brown. Oh! Draft Derek Brown. You need, wow, you so need, you're passing up on Jordan Phillips. Uh, uh, Jordan, yeah, no, I want to get him help. Uh, I think, you know, this is, I have this, uh, this working theory with the, with the Eagles as well. Like, if you can go get a defensive tackle to put next to Fletcher Cox, you do it, and you crush the middle of the, of the offensive line, and you take some pressure off your linebackers, you take some pressure off your secondary. More than that, you take some pressure off of Vance Joseph. Cliff Kingsbury's got a lot of toys, and I don't think that the offensive line at Arizona was the problem that everybody else thinks it was. Kyler held the ball, and Kyler ran because Kyler can run. They gave him enough time to throw the football consistently. You look at their pass rush win weight, and they're getting him 2.8 to 3 seconds to throw the ball. You're only supposed to give him about 2.5, right? Uh, Now, Tristan Wirfs is the best offensive tackle in in the draft class, so if you want to take an offensive tackle, that's the guy to take, but I believe you, you, you build both sides, and since you already spent some draft capital 
although I don't know if we can call that with DeAndre Hopkins and whatnot because they didn't really give up anything but a crappy running back. Um, <laughs> I mean, seriously. I Yeah. I, I, nah. I, I, it's hard to disagree with taking Tristan Wirfs, but I would, I would much rather see them put somebody next to Jordan Phillips. I, I, I respect the decision, and I also understand it from that standpoint. I, I also believe that Marcus Gilbert getting into the age 32 season, they bring back both tackles, but Gilbert may be getting on the long two side of things. If you want to maintain that pass protection that you're talking about or maybe even improve it down the road, I think maybe worse is the guy. And I also firmly believe that offensive tackles are some of the most valuable positions in football. Um, now we move on to number nine. I think this is where you're going to be Maybe agreeing with me here, but I've been wrong before. Derek Brown to Jacksonville, the defensive tackle out of Auburn. This is a guy who is big. He's strong. He's physical. Great frame, six foot five, three twenty six. He wants to bulldoze through you. I think maybe the question for me is the athleticism and the motor. We prioritize the fact that defensive linemen should be athletic. They should be able to absolutely go after the quarterback. Brown kind of shuts it off at times, but at the same time, you cannot overlook the impact that a really talented defensive tackle can have on your defense. I think you get him to go with Josh Allen, the outside linebacker, defensive end prospect, on that D-line for Jacksonville. It is absolute mayhem waiting to happen. Well, look, uh, I'm not going to disagree. I'm just not. I like it. Well, then uh, then let us slide over to a one Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns will be selecting at number 10. I firmly believe that, obviously, the Browns have a roster that failed to meet expectations because of all the skill position talent that they have. But you win and lose games in the line of scrimmage. And for me, Makai Beckton out of Louisville, the offensive tackle, is someone who can help you reach those expectations. Cleveland made the right move in picking up Jack Conklin from Tennessee this offseason, but Conklin is a right tackle. You want to protect that blind side. And Beckton at 6'7", 364, with a long wingspan and honestly freakish athleticism for that size, I think he has the highest ceiling of any offensive tackle in the draft class. And I think it would be very intriguing to watch him develop because he's consistently gotten better as his career goes on. I think Cleveland picking Beckton at 10 is the right move. I hesitate because Makai Beckton doesn't necessarily have a track record of, of being disciplined, to put it mildly, mm-hmm. but you can't argue with the talent. Uh, there are some people that have him as OT1. Uh, there are some people that have him OT2. I think that having somebody opposite Jack Conklin uh, to help Baker Mayfield and to give them just uh, – Man, I just I've wanted to see them get rid of the dude from West Georgia for some time, and this helps that. So I'm gonna go with yeah, Makai Becton if he's still there. Absolutely good pick. All righty, hey, one sack and three quarterback hits in 2019—a notable stat for Becton. All right, let's talk about this. I know we may disagree on this one, but I'm at, I'm ready to get after. The New York Jets at number 11 have a decision to make. they got to keep Sam Darnold upright, but they also have to find a way to get him to the playmakers. And for me, because the way things are playing out with Wills, Wirfs, and Beckton gone in this mock draft, the New York Jets need to get an alpha male on that offense. And to me, very few players in this class epitomize an alpha male more than C.D. Lamb. The Oklahoma Sooner, first one coming out of the Crimson Cream off the board, I think New York losing Robbie Anderson is a big deal. I think C.D. Lamb can help balance that receiving core because there are some maybe deep threats there. There are some underneath guys, but there is no go-to target. And Sam Darnold, I'm not personally a huge fan of his game. I think you need to find someone who can bail him out. And Lamb, after the catch, can do almost anything imaginable. And so if Darnold's in trouble, he can dump the ball off the Lamb and just Watch magic happen. I have CD Lamb here at number eleven, but I'm sure I'll be contested. Nah, sure. I mean, you, you, there. The best tackles that you want are gone, right? Because we we have them all being drafted, and it's really about what your need is. If you think that there's a tackle that you have a high enough grade on, 
to go get, then by all means, go get a tackle or go get a guard, right? I mean, Donovan Jackson out of Ohio State's still going to be around. But, I mean, you, you need a wideout. Um, you need a guy that can take the top off the defense, and you need a guy that can make stuff happen in traffic, and CD fits that. I mean, the only other uh, guys to perhaps pursue are Jerry Judy, T. Higgins, and Henry Ruggs, though Henry Ruggs fits into that Robbie Anderson mold of, I can just fly. So if you just wanted to have that guy on your team, then Ruggs would be the pick. But I think a wide receiver is, is not an unsafe pick here. I like it. And I would also add that I mean, maybe we're overlooking the fact that the Jets have signed two or three offensive linemen in the past, including like Connor McGovern. So for that reason, that indicates to me that they're going to explore wide receiver options. Mm. All right, let's run through a couple of those receivers that you mentioned. I've got back-to-back Alabama products going here at number 12 and number 13. We'll talk about them as a whole. Number 12, the Las Vegas Raiders and Mr. John Gruden. The groomers are swirling, but this time about who he's going to draft, I just think that if Jerry Judy's available, you go get him. He is a sure-handed guy. I love his agility. I think he can stop on a dime. He's just someone you feel comfortable throwing the ball to. And they have to figure out, number one, who that quarterback's going to be in the future. And number two, who's going to help out Josh Jacobs offensively from a playmaking standpoint. So, for me, I've got Judy here at number 12. And I honestly would not be surprised to see the Raiders go wide receiver again in the second round or if they want to trade back up into the first. And then number 13, the San Francisco 49ers. Now, I've got Ruggs going here right after Judy. I think these three are obviously the top three prospects at the position. And I think Ruggs really fits the 49ers offense because – I know that Shanahan loves those deep targets. I know that he sees offensive innovation, and I think maybe he sees the potential of like a Tyreek Hill in his offensive schematics. You can't pass up a guy like that. And I think also Ruggs is more than just a deep ball guy. He's he's really good in the short to intermediate, like the slant routes. He exceeds expectations. And so for these reasons, I see the top three wide receiver prospects going back to back to back specifically these two Alabama prospects, because they really fit what both teams are looking for at this point. I'm not going to disagree. I mean, uh, Simmons is gone. Uh, you could take a Patrick Queen here. You could take a Kavlon Chase in here for the Raiders. Uh, the Niners, I really think about their end-around game and what they did with Debo Samuel when we're talking about Henry Ruggs. But I also, I mean, these are difficult to talk about because – one, the Niners are, are looking to trade, or so we think, and we're not dealing with trades in this, but they also were sniffing around C.D. Lamb earlier last week. So it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I'll, I'll go with those. All righty. Well, let's move on to number 14 and 15. This is where it kind of gets in a little interesting as well, although I think both of these picks fit. Number 14, Tampa Bay gets Andrew Thomas out of Georgia, the offensive tackle, and I love this guy. I think he reminds me a little bit of Cody Ford because he is an absolute mauler in the run game in the past game. Pass protection is not passive, and Thomas wants to absolutely beat you down, whoever you are. He absolutely messed up Caleb on chase on in the game earlier this year, and I think he is on track to do the same. He can play right tackle. He can play left tackle. He has earned all SEC honors, American recognition, and either position. He also, to me, could maybe play like a right guard. I just think that if you're the Buccaneers, you've got to keep Tom Brady upright, and it would also help open up the run game because Thomas is a very capable run blocker. And so he's the pick here at number 14 for me to Tampa Bay. And then number 15, I fully expect the Broncos to be aggressive trade-wise come draft night. But in the event that they don't move, I think addressing the cornerback situation is very important. Chris Harris gone. They need to add some youth to the defensive backfield. I don't know that T.J. Henderson from a tackling standpoint is what you look for, but from a coverage standpoint, what you saw in 2018 as a true sophomore, I mean, the dude just locked people down. He was asked to be on an island a ton for the Florida Gators, a defensive tradition-type program. And so I think Vic Fangio sees a guy like Henderson, who some believe is the number one corner in this class, and he takes him in a heartbeat. If you can get to him, then get to him. Uh, The only – I mean, you mentioned Chris Harris that needed to replace Chris Harris – I, again, I, I look at a safety that might be able to play multiple positions. Trayvon Diggs might be there, uh, and you might think some something better about him than you do C.J. Henderson based on 
how he played in 2019 and being hurt. But if he's there and you think he can play more than one corner spot, cool, absolutely. Uh, I don't have a problem with Andrew Thomas being picked uh, for Tampa Bay. I think that it would be great for Andrew Thomas, and I think it'd be great for Tom Brady. Great for Andrew Thomas because he gets to learn from all of the guys around, specifically Tom Brady, and great for Tom Brady because he's got what he's always wanted, that he wishes that he had at New England, which is, hey, draft me some guys and sign me some guys that can absolutely play, and Andrew Thomas is one of those. Yeah, I mean, that Buccaneer receiver core looks really intriguing, and Thomas only allowed five sacks in three collegiate seasons, a really good prospect, maybe one of the safer bets in the offensive tackle class. All right, let's go to 16, 17, and 18. These are going to be a little bit intriguing. I think the first one is a little less interesting of the three because I think it's more of a sure thing. The Atlanta Falcons need a pass rusher. They have a type, by the way. I mean, you've seen them in the past. Tack McKinley, Vic Beasley, Dante Fowler coming in. They like those athletic, speedy edge rushers. And to me, Caleb on Chase on out of LSU fits that mold. I also feel like Chase on is the ideal candidate to bring into a locker room because he's a high caliber guy. He's an intense individual. He's aggressive. You saw what he did to Oklahoma in the college football playoff. He is just such a good individual player. And a lot of people respect him in that LSU program. I think if you're Atlanta, you jump on the opportunity to get it. Number 17. Obviously, RJ, this is where you and I got to stand up. The Dallas Cowboys are a squad making the pick here. I may get a little bit of slack for this, but I feel like I got to justify it here because Javon Kinlaw of South Carolina, the defensive tackle, is the move that should be made, and here's why. I understand that Dallas brings in Gerald McCoy, GK, and Zintari Poe. The thing we're not talking about is, while they're both defensive tackles like Javon Kinlaw, both played for Carolina a season ago, and Carolina was awful. I mean terrible in the run defensive game. For those reasons, I don't think we're talking enough about the fact that that defensive tackle spot sure needs to be shored up. And youth could certainly be welcomed here. For that reason, I think Kinlaw is a great get. He has a huge frame. He, he's athletic. He was just on a not very good football team. And his disruption is noticeable when you put on the tape. And so – Building towards the future of this defense is important, in my opinion, especially on the line of scrimmage. Javon Kinlaw is the candidate here for me to the Dallas Cowboys. And then finally, this one's another intriguing one. I don't know that a casual fan would know this one off the top, but Austin Jackson, a young offensive tackle out of USC, really athletic. He's only 20 years old, so super young and raw, but he's big, he's athletic. And get this, while some people will say, okay, he maybe had some ups and downs last year, he donated bone marrow to his sister in the offseason, and that limited some of his training and development. And so factoring that in, this guy's only scratching the surface of what he can become. And so that's why I have Miami picking him here at number 18 to help that offensive line out that we talked about earlier. So those are the three picks, 16, 17, and 18. Don't have a problem with 16 and 18. Draft a damn safety, Jerry Jones. I mean, Byron Jones just got signed by Miami, so you need corner help there. So I would let you have a C.J. Henderson. Go get Grant Delpit. Go get Xavier McKinney. Go get Trayvon Diggs. Go get Jeff Gladney. I could throw any number of guys out here. I want to see that secondary get shirt up. I'm tired of watching it be... Uh, I hate the safety play. And, and it's my team, right? I don't. I, I, I get it. I understand that you, you want to put somebody next to Gerald McCoy, but I thought that's what Tristan Hill was for last year. And that what they drafted him to do, you know, was to be next to a guy like Gerald McCoy. So I think you already got that guy on your roster, and I don't want to spend a first-round pick on it. I want a defensive back. But no, 16 and 18, I don't have a problem with. All righty, let's go to 1920 and 21, starting with the Vegas Raiders yet again. I think Mayock loves his length. He loves his competitive nature type players. And he likes players with a good amount of seed. And to me... That is describing A.J. Terrell, the cornerback out of Clemson. This guy obviously struggled in the national title game, but, I mean, come on. When you're facing LSU and that receiver core, who's really going to look that good? I think Terrell, being that big, that fast, that athletic, he is a very intriguing prospect for Mayock to pick up, and they have Trayvon Bull in another Clemson corner, so there's some history there. I think it's a very intriguing pick. And then you go to number 20. A guy that you've mentioned a couple of times, Trayvon Diggs. 
a obvious relative of Stephon Diggs, the wide receiver now of the Buffalo Bills. I I don't know that I'm personally as sold on Diggs as others are. That said, he does bring not only the ability to play corner and safety, but he's also a return man. And Jacksonville needs explosion wherever they can get it. They obviously, at cornerback, don't have Jalen Ramsey or A.J. Boye there anymore. And this is the defense that when those corners are on, they can really ramp it up pass rush-wise. So, for me, Jacksonville goes and gets Trayvon Diggs, also because he has that SEC caliber name, and I think we've seen that Jacksonville likes SEC guys. And then at number 21, I got to go with the Philadelphia Eagles picking up an LSU receiver that we've talked about. This one is Justin Jefferson. He is really good for his frame at going up and getting the football. He obviously has the speed, but contested catch-wise, I think he may be a little bit underrated. And if I remember correctly, Nelson Aguilar is moving on to Philadelphia. He played a ton of snaps in the slot, over 60%, if I remember the statistic correctly. And Jefferson is that slot guy that can fill right in. I think it'd be a great pickup for Philadelphia. They have an obvious needed wide receiver. So for me, Jefferson is a selection. They got three obvious damn needs at wide receiver, quite honestly. I mean, Jeffrey yeah. ain't even healthy, and you had a Houston quarterback playing wide receiver out there to finish out the season. Look, I don't have a problem with Jefferson being drafted here. Uh, sunned Oklahoma, and I don't have a problem with Diggs there. Obviously, you need somebody to uh, fill that Jalen Ramsey spot. But if if Mike Mayock takes another Clemson dude, and he takes a second straight wide receiver, I'm flipping a table. Because this is, what are we doing? Why do we even talk about this stuff? A.J. Terrell didn't do much last year for them. It was Higgins. It was Higgins. But even so, you still have other guys that are available. Like your man, uh, uh, oh, uh, Denzel Mims. Uh, I could, man, now I'm getting, uh, De- Devin DuVernay. I mean, I, those are big 12 guys, and those are the guys that are coming off the top of my head. But look, uh, I don't, I don't. I can't disagree because what are we what are we really disagreeing about except that I don't like necessarily seeing the third best wide receiver at Clemson get taken and the teens and yet it looks like John Gruden and Mike Mayock just watch Clemson play football and I'm going oh, right, whatever guys fine sure I yeah I, I see there are several obvious things here I think Terrell is a really good pickup and and I just feel like there's a lot to be sorted out there and, and Terrell obviously as a, a really long and lengthy prospect, I think from a measurable standpoint, he's an intriguing pickup. Uh, let's go to 22, 23, and 24. You got the Minnesota Vikings who are picking twice in the first round, and they need a cornerback because Xavier Rhodes went from king of the hill to trash, garbage. He was – do we talk about enough how that guy basically – evaporated after he became one of the best defensive backs in the NFL. I mean, oh, it's staggering. Nah, man, I'd be coming, out, so, coming off the bench going, hey, let and, me line up against Road. I'm trying to get mine. <laughs> and, and you weren't saying that much the year or two before. It's no. just, it was such a 180. And so you got to go replace that production. And in my opinion, if you need a guy on an island, I don't know that there's a cornerback in this draft class that plays as well in that position than Jalen Johnson out of Utah. Look, we all watched our own kind of set of college football teams, right? We all watched various programs a little bit more than others. One of those teams for me was Utah. I I enjoyed watching their brand of football. And every time I turned on Jalen Johnson, I loved this guy. I mean, I fell in love with what he brought to the table. He's aggressive. He's energetic. He plays with a chip on his shoulder. In press man situations or just straight up one-on-one, he, he does not panic, especially what I love about him is when the ball's in the air, he's someone that's going to make the big mistake and provide a bunch of free yardage. He just adjusts, and if the play isn't there, he, it isn't there. But the thing is, typically, it is for him. So if the Vikes need to go get that guy, I, I think Johnson is that dude, and I really, really love this guy as a prospect in the defensive backfield. I really do believe he's one of the best corners in the class, and I don't know that he's getting enough reputation boost because of where he played. So we're going to move from there to number 23. And this, to me, is arguably the most intriguing draft selection of the first round because 
What is Bill Belichick going to do? Does he go with the quarterback here? Does he go somewhere else? For me, I have seen Bill Belichick win with Matt Castle, with a Brian Hoyer, a, a Jacoby Brissett. I mean, you name it, he's done it. And with you bringing in Stidham, I believe they brought Hoyer back. I mean, I'm inclined to believe that Belichick's going to sit here and say, I've done it before. Why can't I do it again? Why would I not go and improve my defense that I am known so well for? And for that reason, I have a number 23, Yuter Gross Matos of Penn State, the elite pass rusher going here. He is explosive. His first step is incredible. I think he's so raw, only scratching the surface of what he can become for that reason. Belichick goes with him and not maybe a Jordan Love in this scenario. Now we round out the picks that we're analyzing here with the New Orleans Saints at number 24. It's a really good football team. They're going to have a shot next season. And one of the few holes, in my opinion, on the roster is a linebacker. I think they go with kind of the local hero in Patrick Queen out of LSU. I understand a lot of people have him above Kenneth Murray. I think that because of what the Saints do defensively, Queen is a good fit on this good football team. However, I'm also a big believer that inside linebackers should be great leaders. And Queen, to me, he had the one season of elite production. But you also got to point out, it's one season. And in that one year, I think you saw Queen become, I don't want to say cocky, but a little too exuberant for my liking. Obviously, he told me and several other reporters some eyebrow-raising remarks during media days at the Peach Bowl. I think if you draft Queen, you're getting a really good athlete and an explosive player in space, but you have to teach this kid maybe how to tone it down if you're going to represent an NFL franchise. So those are my three picks. What do you think? I got. I don't have a problem with everybody but Queen. I mean, I, I like Queen for exactly the reasons. I mean, not only did he mouth off, he backed it up. They won 63-28. to 28. Mm. They destroyed Oklahoma. And then they destroyed Clemson. I mean, and this is also a franchise that drafted Jonathan Vilma. And Jonathan Vilma does everything. All of that, and that's what you—that's that's his comp, right? His comp is Jonathan Vilma. It's a little bit more slight, but he's got just as much range. He's got just as much moxie. I don't want to tamp him down. I mean, that—that that sounds like nobody told Baker Mayfield to tamp down a damn thing. Uh-uh, nah. I want my linebacker to be his hair on fire, hell on wheels, saying everything to everybody. We love the boss. Nah, I—I I, I disagree with that. I disagree with the characterization, and I—I I get it, but I'm also not. Nah, that's why I'm drafting him over, say, a Kenneth Murray Jr. Because I want somebody that is going to look to take heads off at a place where they had Bounty Gate. All right? You know, you had Greg Williams going, hey, this is how much I'm going to pay you for putting this quarterback on the ground. You also had Jeremy Shockey out there, who, by the way, was nothing short of loud. And that's New Orleans. New Orleans is loud. New Orleans also has Drew Brees to be the dude that is even killed. But... You're also asking Drew Brees to be Drew Brees. You're not asking him to be somebody he's not. And toning it down, I just, I don't know. Uh-uh. Crank it up. It's the NFL. You know, uh, at the very least, be who you were at LSU and know that you're coming from LSU. And what were they at LSU? They were loud. They told you what they were going to do. The quarterback smoked a cigar after he stomped a mud hole in Clemson and walked it dry. You know, nobody's telling Joe Burrow to shut it down, cocky kid. Nah, this is, this is what you want. If you're going to take that guy, that's that's the thing that pushes over the top for me. Yeah, I, I respect the take. I, I'm, I don't have a problem, obviously, with any players being loud or, or vocalizing their opinion. I would just say, again, it's very hard to, to claim those kind of remarks and then back it up at the NFL level. And so trash talking gets you in trouble. I don't know. Maybe that's just my side of things. But again, I, I like Queen and Murray because they're linebackers that aren't afraid to be vocal. And I still think that, again, no matter who you are as a player, you should be vocal. It's just choose your word carefully if you're going to play in the big-time league. I, I don't know. I, I, again, I love him and let him be who he is. Just be careful with what you're saying. I think that goes for all of us in the public realm. All right, let's go to 25 for 27. Minnesota, Miami again for the third time, and Seattle. This is going to be a little bit intriguing. Number 25, obviously I had Minnesota taking a corner. 
Now you go to the other side, they try and replace what Xavier Rhodes once was. They also have to go and fill the hole of Stephon Diggs. And Stephon Diggs, to me, is a tremendous deep threat, and he is a playmaker. And for me, someone that epitomizes that is Brandon Ayuk of Arizona State. This dude is fast. I understand that people will look at the 40 time and say 4-5. Okay, that's, that's good speed, but it's not elite. But when you turn on the tape, he is much faster than 4-5, in my opinion. He just knows how to create separation. And you add this into the fact that he is maybe the second most yards after the catch creator in the class outside of CD Lamb. That carries weight. And so when you're talking about a guy who can get free, use that speed, to be open, and then once he has the ball, continue to make plays afterwards, that is incredibly valuable to me, especially when you're talking about a team that in Minnesota has a guy like Thielen who can just be that sure-handed go-to target, but you need some explosion. Ayuk is that dude. I'll also add in that he has great ability in the return game, and that also, for me, is very valuable for the Vikings. We go to number 26 in Miami, a guy that you mentioned a couple of times, Xavier McKinney. Xavier McKinney, the safety at Alabama, is very, very interesting to me because a lot of scouts recently have said this guy may be a second-round pick. Maybe the evaluations were a bit overdone. But I also believe that, well, yes, he's not the greatest athlete or he may not be the most explosive player we've seen. I believe he's the number one safety prospect because he is trusted and he's versatile. We are not talking enough about how Nick Saban – and that defensive staff said, look, we're going to put you all over the formation. We're going to ask you to do a lot. Just do it and do it to the best of your ability. And he did it. And he did it wherever he was lining up. That, that to me, speaks volume. He has a good frame. I think he can really develop his game. He may be a little bit raw. But in the end, I think Xavier McKinney is a great player to pick up if you're the Dolphins defensively. And at number 27, this one was intriguing for me. Seattle could go a number of different directions here. This is maybe a spot where you think, okay, if you're no U fan, Neville Gallimore's got a chance. But for me, it's A.J. Epinesa, the defensive lineman out of Iowa. Another Iowa Hawkeye going in the first round because this guy, a front line of scrimmage type of player who produced 11-plus sacks, he's got a big frame, he's versatile. I think he could play a little more on the inside or as a defensive end just for me. I don't know that he has the speed and athleticism to consistently win off the edge, but Seattle prioritizes physicality and intensity as a defense. Aggression is of great success for them, and so for that reason, I went with A.J. Vanessa at number 27. Your thoughts on any of these three? I think if you're going to go with an in, absolutely, Epinesa. If you're trying to fortify your middle, then that's something else entirely. Um, yeah, I... Mm. Sure. Uh, I, I, I vacillate, but Epinesa was a guy I was talking about to start last year's college football season. Wasn't talking about Neville Gallimore in that way. So, yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, what do you got at 28, 29, and 30? Uh, so, we're going to spend, obviously, I assume a little bit more at 28 because I have Kenneth Murray. The Baltimore Ravens, or as they're affectionately labeled, the Baltimore Sooners around Norman and other areas of the nation, could add even more crimson and cream to this roster. And I think Kenneth Murray is everything you want as a linebacker. He's he's well-spoken. He's an intense leader. He also understands the importance of representing a program. And you know the off-the-field story, right? I mean, this guy has done a ton. I personally am a huge Kenneth Murray person. I just think he as an individual exceeds the caliber of player, and for me, he's a really darn good football player. I also would love to see Ray Lewis and Kenneth Murray strike up a mentor-mentee relationship. Like, that is what football means these days. But Baltimore is a locker room split of the Saints that allows you to just be yourself. And K-9 being the leader of that defense as a young player, just like Marquise or, or Lamar are as young guys offensively, I think it's a very natural fit for him, especially because Baltimore has a need at inside linebacker. And in addition to that, they love guys who can pass rush, and K-9 is really good at rushing the passer from the inside linebacker position or if you line him up on the edge. Uh, 29 and 30. I have the Titans picking Josh Jones of Houston, a former opponent 
of the Oklahoma Sooners. Tennessee has a basic no-name at right tackle right now with Conklin leaving. And maintaining a strong starting five on the offensive line is obviously maybe the most pivotal of any NFL franchise for the Tennessee Titans. Derrick Henry is so good, but you also want to make sure that Tannehill continues to rise. I think for me, Jones is the pick if he slides this far. I think he has a little bit of filling out to do if he's going to play on offense, but his natural pass protection ability cannot be overlooked. Number 30, a guy that you know I really love, Denzel Mims to the Green Bay Packers. I don't know that we do this guy justice for how much of a freak of nature he is. Because at six foot three and nearly 210 pounds, he ran a 4.38 second 40 yard dash. And you see this translate on the field. This dude had nearly 30% of his total collegiate receiving yards come solely on the go route, RJ. Think about that. Almost 30% of his collegiate production came from him running straight. That is mind-blowing. And then you factor in the fact that in 2019, Roto World says that he caught a whopping one screen pass. That, that to me, speaks volumes. He is someone who wins down the field consistently, and he has never asked to be just given production. People have compared him to DK Metcalf, but I was also a big DK Metcalf guy because I think raw physicality and athleticism translate with good coaching i think that aaron Rodgers would love to see denzel mims the pick at number 30 what do you think about those three uh couple nitpicks uh kenneth murray jr needs to be mentoring ray lewis not the other way around one guy saved somebody's life on the side of the road another guy flipped on his friends and testified in a murder trial as he was charged with murder and took an obstruction of justice charge so i don't put ray lewis on the pedestal that everybody else does that's just me don't have a problem with baltimore taking him there and i'd like to see him get drafted in the first round and as far as Denzel Mims and running 30% of his routes in a straight line, that's the knock on the Baylor offense even before Matt Rule got there, is those guys don't run more than like two routes. And you want to be able to show that you can do more than, than one or two routes. And the idea that you only caught one screen pass, one, speaks to how good Chris Platt was, and two, that they didn't trust you to catch any. Like, everybody's got a wide receiver screen in for their fastest wide receivers. It's what you do, right? It, it, you, you block it up. And you tell that guy to go tearing through the middle of the field. Now, I don't know why you have him running in straight lines and you just have him taking the top off the defense, especially when Parnell Motley put the shackles on you. Now, Parnell Motley is not chopped liver, but Parnell Motley ain't a first-round pick either. So I I, I don't know. I, I contest that. I think it's a second or third-round pick, and I think he is DK Metcalf. But you know what? DK Metcalf set a playoff record in the playoffs. So... That's not a bad thing. I just, I'm not going to use my pick on a wide receiver here named Denzel Mims. But that's, those are the only two nitpicks that I have. I, I respect it. And, and I would quickly mention as we kind of wrap up here, I love LaVisca Schindel Jr. out of Colorado. I love that guy. But from what you hear, his injury concerns and the fact that he was maybe at a smaller school, it's a strong indication that he's going to fall out of the first. Wait, Colorado's and a smaller so, school? I, I would say yes, according to what scouts are saying. But okay. That would also indicate okay. to me that apparently Baylor's bigger. Uh, I, I, I was, was going to say, okay. That, see, see, we're on the same page. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing. Okay. But All right. Me, I'm like, Colorado Baylor, there's a discrepancy? Ooh. I don't know. I, I just think you look at LaVisca Chanel, I understand the injury concerns. And then I would also say, okay, you talk about the big school, small school. Why isn't T. Higgins here? But from what I could gather in doing the research, Higgins isn't a guy that all NFL scouts think can consistently win over the top like he did in college. And for that reason, I also believe that what DK Metcalf did maybe overemphasizes Denzel's value as a receiver prospect, maybe more than the others, if that makes sense. So that's why I projected him as number 30, but we're on the same page. Uh, let's wrap it up. I say we end with number 31 and number 32. 31, the 49ers, let me go ahead and say again, as you guys know, we're not doing any trades, but I wholeheartedly believe that San Francisco is not going to be picking number 31 on Thursday night. They, they don't have, if I remember correctly, any second-round picks or maybe very many third-rounders. And so when you have two first, but you need to create more in this class, 
I wholeheartedly believe that San Francisco is going to trade this pick. If they do pick here, though, this would be a spot maybe that Neville Gallimore goes because the 49ers need to replace defensive tackle talent. But I'm going with Ross Blacklock at a TCU. He's not a great player. I mean, he's he's really good when he's healthy. And you're uh, you're well already coached. defending this. You're going to catch so much hell, so much hell, <laughs> so much hell. Hey, look, I, I, I understand that people will say. Neville Gallimore or someone else should be the pick. But you see a lot of NFL scouts becoming more fond of this guy. And, and I think there's a reason for that. He, he produced in a good defensive scheme. He's got good size. He's got good athleticism. He's aggressive. I, I think, again, if the Niners need to pick a defensive tackle, from all the projections I've seen, I think Blacklock might be that guy. And then to finish out at number 32 – we have another LSU Tiger in cornerback Christian Fulton going to the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs have a clear need at corner. They have, obviously, I believe 20 of 22 returning starters coming back from the Super Bowl squad. But getting someone better on the perimeter defensively is of utmost importance. And for that reason, you get a guy like Fulton slide to you at 32. I mean, jump on it. Look, I... I I believe in total his completion percentage against was 40%. Don't quote me on that, but I also know that sometimes he can get a little bit bullied on the edge. But for me, I think Fulton is just too good of a talent to pass up here because a lot of people project him as either a later or mid-first-round pick. If he's there for Kansas City, you go and take him. All right, what do you got for me? I just I, I would have taken the easy way and, t- and said Neville Gallimore instead of Brass Blacklock. That's it. You know that that's all. Uh, I just, hey man, just the home team. <laughs> that that's all. Dude, I, I hey, we gotta stir the, the, the subscribers up a little bit. I I've defended K9 and and CD. I think K9 certainly gonna go maybe higher than twenty eight. I think a lot of people are gonna want him. And obviously for me, CD is the best receiver in the draft class. But I just again, part of this mock draft is going off of what people feel is going to happen in the league. And every time I researched what people are saying, Ross Blacklock is the name that's being circled. And so that's why I went with him here at number 31. And then again, I mean, I don't even think that 49ers are going to be picking here, but it, it was very interesting for me to see and research that Blacklock has climbed this high. All right. Uh, very well done, man. And uh, I'll send all your hate mail to uh, Colin Kennedy, who does not want to see a defensive tackle drafted in the first round uh, out of Oklahoma and wants Gerald McCoy to keep his streak of being the last defensive tackle drafted in the first round, the last defensive player drafted in the first round. But Kenneth Murray Jr. might break that up. Uh, Colin, no, nah, man, uh, in all seriousness, excellent work. Uh, I know how hard these things are to put together. And I know how much we like a lot of these guys coming out of college, and I wish them all well. Exactly. I mean, it's really cool to see these guys have their dreams realized come Thursday night and beyond. I'm pulling for everybody. I fully believe, again, that that guys like CeeDee Lamb, Kenneth Murray, Neville Gallimore, Jalen Hurts are going to be very capable pros. And I'm pulling for them to have success in the next level for both themselves and their families. But this was a ton to put together. I thank you for allowing me the platform to describe it, and I know, again, maybe you may not be the biggest NFL draft guy like some others, but I hope that this exercise was enough to at least be intrigued. I cannot wait for some sort of live sport to give it to me. RJ, thanks a ton, man. Right on, brother. I appreciate you.